Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence, a production of J.P. Morgan Asset Management. The Center for Investment Excellence is an audio podcast that provides educational insights across asset classes and investment themes. Today's episode on hedge funds has been recorded for institutional and professional investors. I'm David Lebowitz, global market strategist and host of the Center for Investment Excellence. With me today is Lynette Ferguson, head of investment specialists for J.P. Morgan Alternative Asset Management Hedge Fund and Alternative Credit Solutions Team. Welcome to the Center for Investment Excellence. Thank you for having me. It's our pleasure. Today, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about hedge funds. And hedge funds have had a bit of a tough run here over the course of the current cycle. That said, we've seen some macroeconomic developments which haven't necessarily led investors to feel terribly comfortable, but you know the kind of knock-on effect of that is that this could actually be an environment that we're coming into where hedge funds begin to perform a bit better. You know, it's interesting because we came into this year and I think back to the end of last year, you know, sitting at my parents' house on Christmas Eve and watching the bottom fall out of the stock market and my dad asking me, you know, what's wrong? What's going on? It's Christmas Eve. You should be hanging out with your family, <laughs> um, not working on your iPad and your laptop at the same time. And at that juncture, right, the bottom was falling out of the stock market. The S&P 500 fell by nearly 20%. If you were looking at forecasts for growth, to start 2019, they were in kind of the low single digits looking for like one sub one growth. And then the first quarter came, the first quarter went, we had the longest government shutdown in U.S. history. And when all the numbers came through the door, we actually saw that the U.S. economy grew by 3% in the first quarter. That caught a lot of people by surprise. And obviously the reasons for that 3% growth were a bit unique. It was primarily due to a better-than-expected contribution from trade and an inventory build, which occurred at twice the historical pace. But now we're into the second quarter, and we're not necessarily feeling quite as confident about where things are headed. Obviously, some of that boost to growth in the first quarter needs to be paid back in the second quarter. But at the same time, we've seen trade tensions, which felt like they were kind of getting themselves under control, begin to resurface. The rhetoric around the Fed has completely changed. You know, the sell side was calling for a number of interest rate hikes at the end of last year. The sell side is now in aggregate looking for interest rate cuts in 2019. And that's led us into an environment where volatility has picked up, uncertainty has increased. And some of the things that we think may have held back hedge fund performance up until this point may be finally beginning to shift in another direction. You know, from where I sit, There are really three things that have impacted hedge fund performance negatively over the course of this cycle, and it's been high correlations, low dispersion, and low volatility. So in other words, the fact that everything in the equity market has been moving together, the difference between the winners and the losers has been relatively narrow, and relative to what we've seen on average over time, equity markets haven't been quite as bouncy as perhaps they were in the past. And, you know, that environment has been challenging for active managers broadly. It's been challenging for hedge fund managers in particular. And that's really manifest itself in flow and performance dynamics. I mean, three out of the past four years have seen negative net flows out of the hedge fund universe. Thinking about the first quarter of this year, the global equity market was up over 12%. The best performing hedge fund sector was up about 7.5%, and that was equity long short. And so I think a lot of people are sitting there asking themselves, why would I pay an active management fee when I'm getting 
better performance from beta? And I think that's a fair question to ask, but I also think that as volatility picks up, correlations come down and dispersion begins to widen out, the tide may turn for hedge funds broadly. So Lynette, I'd love to bring you into the conversation and talk a little bit about within the hedge fund universe. It's this term that gets thrown around and used in a relatively nebulous fashion. But within the hedge fund universe, what are some of the issues that you've picked up on for specific types of strategies? What are some of the headwinds that you think may have impacted performance up until this point? And then later on in the conversation, maybe we can move into where we're finding some opportunities at the current juncture. So I think you bring up a lot of really good points that we're certainly very focused on in terms of looking at hedge fund strategies here at JP Morgan. In I think maybe your comments in terms of the Fed, in terms of kind of general correlation dispersion, more recent as well as versus last year, actually is maybe a point to kind of come to. And maybe actually initially what might be interesting just to comment on was, as you said, it's been a difficult few years for hedge funds. We've seen some structural challenges in terms of the industry more generally over the last few years, and that's sort of been reflected in terms of outflows in the industry. And so in terms of how, what we think is happening there, and then feed that into in terms of what we see the opportunities as coming up. If we kind of think of the individual strategies, so I would say, I mean, if we sort of take the strategies one by one, probably the most obvious strategy that dominates, I think, the hedge fund industry in terms of number of managers is equity long short. And equity long short, if we look at over the past 10 years, we've actually seen, there seems to be a sort of structural challenge for that strategy, I would say it's been more difficult for managers to generate returns and generate alpha. And so there we're looking at, you know, by alpha, meaning return that's not just coming from exposure to the market. And so if you look at alpha over the last 10 years, that has been steadily declining across equity long short. And we think there's a number of reasons for that. And some of those we think might change and some of those we think are structurally here to stay. And so just kind of going through those very briefly, one I think is the impact of passive strategies that we've seen in the market. So here we think of some of the risk premia, we think of people just moving and having exposure just to kind of long indices. Now, if we think of, you know, the index in particular, that's been a huge move from a lot of institutional investors in terms of moving rather than active management, both hedge funds and I think broader long-only active management, and moving that into investing sort of by a long index or ETF instead. Those indices tend to be more large cap in terms of the ones that they're focused on. In terms of where hedge funds tend to trade, actually generally equity long short funds tend to be long mid cap and small cap managers where they think there's greater inefficiencies and tend to be short large cap managers. And so those structural flows have actually been very challenging for hedge funds has made it more difficult generally. But that also means if you show a shift in that, as we potentially could see, if people are more nervous about the end of the cycle, then that's something that some of that we'd expect maybe could potentially reverse. But there is generally going to be the headwind in terms of the flows there. The second thing I think I would highlight is in terms of quantitative strategies. This is something we hear a lot about in terms of they are a much bigger part of the market than they used to be. And here there's a whole range of different quant strategies that can vary from what a lot of people think of as long-term trend followers that tend to try and exploit momentum, so trends in the market, to kind of statistical arbitrage managers who are taking very, using kind of complicated algorithms to try and kind of predict what's going to happen in terms of market moves. And so 
that has also had a big impact and probably, you know, without needing to go into the detail of each of those strategies, what that's meant in terms of equity long short is that whereas, say, five, ten years ago, a lot of managers were focused on six to nine month type moves. So looking in terms of analyst forecasts and changes, company numbers on a quarterly basis, that's shifted to a much longer term time horizon where they find they're less challenged by these systematic strategies. So there we've seen it's now quite common for equity managers to be focused on two to three years out. And actually, if you're kind of two to three years out, you are in the interim going to naturally see a bit more beta in terms of your returns in the interim. The other is in terms of platform funds. So this has also been a big structural change in markets. We think of people like the 0.72, the Citadels, Millenniums of this world. These are big managers who are generally, they have the tent of a lot of small traders. Those traders don't necessarily need to be of the same quality. So they're looking to make maybe smaller kind of return targets than an individual manager would need to make. But they will take those small returns and actually then lever them up. And so they'll combine that with, you know, risk management, better counterparty arrangements to try and make that work then as a strategy itself. That is then because they can play shorter term because they're only looking for smaller returns. They then can get involved in things that then maybe, you know, a smaller individual manager couldn't. So that's meant generally for equity long short. Those big things have probably been the biggest things that have happened. Yeah, and I want to gravitate towards something you said about quant strategies and statistical arbitrage strategies and the potential for these more momentum and quantitatively driven funds to actually exacerbate volatility on a very short-term basis. I mean, I think back a couple of years ago, you know, when we started in this industry, if you saw the stock market move 1% to 2% in a day, like, that was a really big deal. Yeah. Now, you know, you see 2 3 4% moves in the equity market, and everybody kind of says, well, oh, it's the quants, right? And, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, just blame it on the math guys. While short-term volatility has certainly increased, and I think, you know, the past 18 months have been a good representation of that dynamic, Structurally speaking, I think it's difficult to deny that things like quantitative easing and zero interest rate policy have structurally depressed volatility over the current cycle when you look across longer periods of time. But as we sit in our seats and think about the outlook this year and into the following year, you know, we do think that the uncertainty around what the Fed's going to do, are they going to sit tight? Are they going to cut? Probably not going to hike, but, you know, it's uncertain. And we're going to be parsing the Fed statements for more information going forward. That coupled with uncertainty surrounding trade and really the broader trajectory of economic growth and the potential for weakness in manufacturing to impact the services side of the equation, we think that that could begin to put a bit of upward pressure on volatility. And actually, a chart that we show in our Guide to Alternatives looks at the relationship between the federal funds rate and the VIX. The Fed funds rate tends to lead the VIX by about two years. So the rate hikes that we were seeing in 2017 and 2018 are finally beginning to work their way into the equity market. And we think that that's going to continue to push vol higher. You know, As we've kind of touched on, higher vol should, in aggregate, be good for hedge funds. Yeah. So higher vol in aggregate should be good because you need movement in terms of prices for people who are trading long and short positions to be able to make money. I think it's worth highlighting though, and we saw this in Q4 last year, spikes in volatility can be very difficult for hedge fund managers. And so for a lot of strategies, if we have a severe spike, then actually the actual spike itself is difficult, but a kind of more elevated level of volatility we think should be good. And that would be, we'd expect equity long short, we'd expect, you know, in terms of credit managers, 
quantitative relative value managers, particularly kind of quantitative managers, we think would all benefit from an increase in volatility. I think that's true. What is also important, though, is in terms of your comment from a dispersion perspective. And I think there what's been interesting is that even with the recent Fed comments we've had, where I think we had obviously saw quite a bit of volatility in May, and there's a question about whether with what was happening with trade wars, with tweets that were coming out from Trump, and whether really despite the Fed's efforts earlier in the year to sort of calm down markets, whether we were going to see a return to much more volatility. There are actually signs that the markets are maybe not as willing to tolerate bad news as they were before. There's some concern, I think, from investors, and we hear this both from hedge fund managers and also from investors who are looking at hedge funds. They're very concerned about where we are in the cycle. So are we late cycle? You know, were we going to have a recession at one point? People were thinking it might be later this year, maybe in the next couple of years. But that's something clearly everybody's beginning to think about. And so what you've seen with some of the companies is what you hadn't seen in the last few years when everything tended to move together. You talked about correlation being very high, dispersion being very low is what we've seen this year is there's been much more intra-sector dispersion. So rather than sectors just leading everything, and if you were in the right sector, you all just went up. If you missed your earnings, if bad news came out about your stock, whereas that wasn't necessarily punished before, that does seem to be being punished now. And that for us is, it's a good sign, I think, for hedge fund managers, because that sort of dispersion and the market being a bit more selective in terms of what it's doing tends to work very well. But also there's questions from us whether that actually does mean it sort of feels a bit more like we're getting to sort of more of a late cycle in terms of the environment. Yeah, and I think we are undoubtedly moving towards the latter stages of this cycle. And one of the things that we've picked up on, again, in our Guide to Alternatives is that As you see volatility move higher, as you see dispersion widen out, as you see correlation fall, the alpha that hedge fund managers are able to generate tends to improve. So even if the nominal level of return is a bit disappointing, right, the manager selection, the manager skill, their ability to pick the winners and avoid the losers does come through even in periods where volatility is representative of, you know, a very uncomfortable investment environment broadly. Also, one thing I was going to say is that with volatility, I think one thing we should bear in mind, even if we're seeing volatility maybe lower than we'd expect at the beginning of this year, because I think it's fair to say at the beginning of this year, lots of people were looking and saying, we thought this is the best environment for hedge funds that we've seen in a number of years because we expected more volatility and dispersion in the market. Even if it's come down, we're actually not expecting it to go back to, say, what it was in 2016, 2017, when volatility was at 100-year lows in 2017. That sort of level of volatility, which we find is challenging, even for, say, quant managers who would expect to perform the type of managers that we tend to prefer, tend to be managers who would perform regardless of what's happening to markets, but they still need a base level of volatility to occur. That level of volatility doesn't need to be that high. And so we don't think we're going to go back to that. You know, even though it's not the absolute sweet spot of where hedge funds would prefer from a volatility perspective, we don't think it's going to be as bad as what it's been in the last few years. We've unpacked a lot today around an asset class that has certainly struggled in recent history, but it does feel like the tide may in fact be beginning to turn. So I just want to pose one last question to you before we wrap up here today. You know, what are clients asking about? What are clients looking for? What have your client conversations been like over the past couple of months? And what do you think may be some evolving trends in the hedge fund space that our listeners can be cognizant of going forward? So I think it's fair to say that actually I could tie most of our client conversations down to two themes. And the themes themselves are actually quite different. 
And so the first of those themes, to tie back to what we've just been talking about, is this, where we are in the cycle and people looking for uncorrelated returns. And that's played out in terms of people looking for more idiosyncratic strategies, things that just aren't going to be correlated to their broader portfolio. And that might be if they're maybe going to put some money into hedge funds, maybe they've been low on their hedge fund allocation more recently, or if they've got an existing portfolio and they're trying to fit something in there. And so those sorts of looking for idiosyncratic returns tends to tie into more esoteric strategies. So let's think about things like reinsurance has come up in terms of some of the quantitative strategies. Some of those strategies tend to work very well. Machine learning has been something that is a new area of quant, but looks particularly like it's not affected by the crowding that we may be seeing in some other parts of the quant market, then looks particularly attractive. And interesting, actually, as an aside, machine learning managers, generally when we saw sort of stress in the markets, and particularly with quant managers in Q4 last year, and what we saw in May this year, actually don't seem to have been affected by that. So it's quite interesting to see they really do seem to be doing something different. But also in terms of the private side, so that's kind of tying in. We talked about hedge funds here, but it's also feeding into what people are looking at in terms of on the credit side from a private credit perspective. It's the same thing of looking for uncorrelated returns. And so where people have got an ability to take a little bit more illiquidity in their portfolio, they're also doing that as a way of trying to get access to some form of return in this late stage of the market. The other theme that we're seeing, and it's a big theme that actually we're seeing globally, is ESG. And so for people maybe less familiar, I think it's probably fairly well known kind of globally across the market these days, but for those people who are less familiar, so BSG was sort of talking about environmental, social and government factors in terms of managing money. And this is something that's really coming from investors and less so, I'd say, from managers. The hedge fund industry has probably been the slowest area, I would say, in the financial industry, it feels, to pick up on this. But we are seeing moves now and we've actually been at the forefront in terms of talking to our managers and really kind of getting them involved in this. Now, how it's happening has been different in terms of global conversation. So we find that in Europe, in Asia, and Asia also in particular, in Australasia, so New Zealand and Australia, they're very concerned about sort of the more the E and the S side. So kind of impact investing, how can they look at things that impact the environment? That, as you can imagine, is a more nuanced question in the US. And so it will be that in the US kind of West Coast investors are very keen on ESG, particularly those E and the S components, Whereas, say, on the East Coast, there's, you know, or actually not just on the East Coast, but in non-West Coast, and also particularly in public pension plans, there's things like diversity, which are very important to them. So these are the same factors, but that's what they tend to be focused on. And investors are really, at the moment, trying to marry their wish and desire to do this with their fiduciary duty to actually generate good returns. And so we see in places like Canada and in the US that there's a focus that returns come first. And so they're really trying to find a way that they can actually do returns, but also do ESG, whereas some other investors, they actually just need to do it across the board. Yeah, I mean, the ESG trend is undeniable. And uh, I saw a chart the other day of the number of times ESG is mentioned in Russell 3000 company earnings calls, and that chart goes up and to the right. And we like charts that go up and to the right. (laughs) Lynette, thank you so much for joining us today on the Center for Investment Excellence. We hope to have you back again sometime soon. I would love to. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for joining us today on J.P. Morgan's Center for Investment Excellence. CFA Institute members are encouraged to self-document their continuing professional development activities in their online CE tracker. If you found our insights useful, you can find more episodes on iTunes and on our website. Recorded on June 7, 2019. For the purposes of MIFID II, the JPM Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs are marketing communications and are not in scope for any MIFID II MIFIR requirements specifically related to investment research. Furthermore, the J.P. Morgan Asset Management Market Insights and Portfolio Insights programs, as non-independent research, 
have not been prepared in accordance with legal requirements designed to promote the independence of investment research, nor are they subject to any prohibition on dealing ahead of the dissemination of investment research. This content is a general communication being provided for informational purposes only. It is educational in nature and not designed to be taken as advice or a recommendation for any specific investment product, strategy, plan feature, or other purpose in any jurisdiction, nor is it a commitment from J.P. Morgan Asset Management or any of its subsidiaries to participate in any of the transactions mentioned herein. Any examples used are generic, hypothetical, and for illustration purposes only. This material does not contain sufficient information to support an investment decision, and it should not be relied upon by you in evaluating the merits of investing in any securities or products. In addition, users should make an independent assessment of the legal, regulatory, tax, credit, and accounting implications and determine, together with their own professional advisors, if any investment mentioned herein is believed to be suitable to their personal goals. Investors should ensure that they obtain all available relevant information before making any investment. Any forecasts, figures, opinions, or investment techniques and strategies set out are for information purposes only, based on certain assumptions and current market conditions, and are subject to change without prior notice. All information presented herein is considered to be accurate at the time of production, but no warranty of accuracy is given and no liability in respect of any error or omission is accepted. It should be noted that investment involves risks. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate in accordance with market conditions and taxation agreements, and investors may not get back the full amount invested. Both past performance and yields are not reliable indicators of current and future results. J.P. Morgan Asset Management is the brand for the asset management business of J.P. Morgan Chase & Company and its affiliates worldwide. To the extent permitted by applicable law, we may record telephone calls and monitor electronic communications to comply with our legal and regulatory obligations and internal policies. Personal data will be collected, stored, and processed by J.P. Morgan Asset Management in accordance with our company's privacy policy. For further information regarding our regional privacy policies, please refer to the MEA Privacy Policy. For locational Asia-Pacific privacy policies, please click on the respective links. Hong Kong Privacy Policy, Australia Privacy Policy, Taiwan Privacy Policy, Japan Privacy Policy, and Singapore Privacy Policy. This communication is issued by the following entities. In the United Kingdom by J.P. Morgan Asset Management UK Limited, which is authorized and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. In other European jurisdictions by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Europe, S.A.R.L. In Hong Kong by J.F. Asset Management Limited, or J.P. Morgan Funds Asia Limited or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Asia Limited. In Singapore, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Singapore Limited, Co-Reg Number 197601586K, or J.P. Morgan Asset Management Real Assets, Singapore Private Limited, Co-Reg Number 201120355E. In Taiwan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Taiwan Limited. In Japan, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management, Japan Limited which is a member of the Investment Trusts Association, Japan, the Japan Investments Advisors Association, Type II Financial Instruments Firms Association, and the Japan Securities Dealers Association, and is regulated by the Financial Services Agency, Registration Number, Kanto Local Finance Bureau, Financial Instruments Firm, Number 330. In Australia, to wholesale clients, only as defined in Section 761A, and 761G of the Corporations Act 2001, CTH, by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Australia Limited, ABN 551438, 
32080, AFSL 376919, in Brazil by Banco J.P. Morgan S.A., in Canada for institutional clients' use only by J.P. Morgan Asset Management Canada, Incorporated, and in the United States by J.P. Morgan Distribution Services, Incorporated, and J.P. Morgan Institutional Investments, Incorporated, both members of FINRA, and J.P. Morgan Investment Management, Incorporated. In APAC, distribution is for Hong Kong, Taiwan, Japan, and Singapore. For all other countries in APAC, to intended recipients only. Copyright 2019, J.P. Morgan Chasing Company, all rights reserved.